This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The pure soul, and you're the, the dark entity. Literally the devil on the shoulder. Haunting, like kinda... haunting my dreams. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I like how you call them dreams and not nightmares, so they should be good? I, I don't know. I mean, I have woken up at the same time the past two nights, so something's going on there. It's I... probably not because I'm just watching a ton of horror movies while researching today's topic. That can't be it. Honestly, I give you a lot of props. You're kind of a... Like, you love horror stuff so much, not only with the topic we're talking about today, but, like, also watching the Nightmare on Elm Street yeah. movies just to, like, get a little extra spooked. But it, the, they're so good. Well, some of them are good, but, like, they're so fun to watch because mm. they're still, like, 25, 30 years old. So it's, like, these aren't that scary, but they're still, like, so good for when they came out. Do they still hold up? Like, do you think, like... Ah, some of them. Like, the first one does. And then I just watched the fourth one yesterday. Those ones are both really good. Mm-hmm. But like the second one, ugh, it's very questionable. Ah, a little sus. But before we get into this conversation, I guess I should <laughs> intro the show, huh? Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Gems of History podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Shop, And joining me today, we have the scrumptious oh. and beautiful, ever-present and glowing Evan Roosh. <laughs> I love how the third one was ever present. Like, he's here. <laughs> his kindness, his aura is always around. Ah, oh, that is just, I'm literally blushing on this lovely March day. I was told that I needed to compliment you this time in our intro because my, as we discussed last week, my <laughs> yeah. intros are usually very matter of fact and to the point. It's Yeah, it's very much, here's our show, here's what we're talking about, and I'm just, you know, writing you a love letter over here. And the listeners. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> we, we love the listeners. They're all beautiful people. But Just want to give you a big old smooch. But yes, I have watched, I've, I haven't watched all the Nightmare on Elm Street, but I watched one through four. Then I was going to watch Freddy vs. Jason, but I decided to maybe go to bed <laughs> instead, <laughs> so I did that. But yeah, they're, they're, I've never seen them, like the original ones. Mm-hmm. I've only seen like the remake one. So watching through like the original ones and... I can appreciate them for what they are because there's like so much more practical effects, which I appreciate a lot more. Right. So it's a lot of fun to watch through. It's really interesting with those old movies just to see how they made up for like the lack of special effects. Yeah. Like I'm sure Freddy's makeup was insane. Oh, and it's there is like as you get through the series, you get some really, really cheesy CGI because it's so early on. Right. But. Yeah, my plan is to like watch through all these, and then I'm gonna try and watch through like the original Friday the Thirteenth, and then like the Halloweens, and I'm gonna pick which ones are my favorite. Like, do I like Michael, Freddy, or Jason the best? Like, 
what order the best part is it's uh march <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's my march it's my horror march madness that i'm doing with you're myself <laughs> <laughs> it's there's just gonna be a full bracket and yeah. everything like and coming out of the east <laughs> i know freddy krueger it's finally starting to get nice out again i'm just gonna be like huddled up in my living room watching yeah. horror movies no lights on blind shut you can literally hear children outside playing in the streets and it's just me like shut up one of their like soccer balls hits your door and you just audibly hiss <laughs> <laughs> but anyways how have you been evan been good honestly just oh, wow i tried my best not to mention the weather but it's spring we're out here we're doing some outdoorsy things getting by the time this releases it'll be the fourth week in a row where i've traveled you know and yeah so it's been a very busy month um but i have to start calling you mr worldwide carl call me uh carmen <laughs> san diego please mr midwest wide <laughs> yeah right, right. Went and to, florida yeah went to florida minneapolis and then phillips wisconsin but shout out phillips wisconsin we went to or we didn't go to but we passed by a place it was literally a gas station that was actually like a full-on pizza restaurant as well where nice. you could just get both and just thought to myself, this is incredible. Yeah. Dude, those... Absolutely great. Those, like, middle of nowhere gas stations that are just gems, the best. And it's also just, like, the town mayor, for whatever reason. <laughs> it's just... fits. Every, he's also the sheriff. There's someone locked in a brig. <laughs> but speaking of March, Evan, you know what else happened in March? Almost 100 years ago, exactly, Almost actually. Almost exactly 100 years ago. Could have planned it better. I, yeah, I, did. I suggested this topic without even realizing that that was a thing. But yeah, we're coming up on the 100-year anniversary of our topic that we're going to be talking about today, which is the Hinter Kaifek murders. Maybe the ghost spoke to you. To... <laughs> yeah, the demons in my sleep told me to do right. this topic. And now we're going to be like two white women on a podcast and get to the bottom of it. <laughs> We'll try. Yeah. Last time we tried to solve an unsolved axe murder from like the <laughs> early 1900s, it didn't go too well. So. No, I didn't even remember the topic. <laughs> so I'm just going to go right off the bat and say that my sources are like wide and varied because there's plenty of different accounts on the internet for this story. And I tried to find like good books, but apparently none of the books on the topic are really that good. So I decided to just take most of what I could find on like the first three pages of Google and kind of comprise the most consistent storyline for this topic. And then I also used a couple of YouTube videos. BuzzFeed Unsolved did it for like one of their first episodes. So it's like a five minute video, mm -hmm. but they have some information in there. And then there's a YouTube channel called Mr. Ballin, I think is how you pronounce it. And he did like a good video on it. Now, I usually don't use other podcasts, but I used uh, Parcast Unsolved Mysteries. Mm -hmm. I listened through theirs. They kind of compiled a lot of information into one storyline, so it kind of just helped me get everything into a picture versus 13 different internet sources. Yep. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a, it's a very interesting story, and it's also a very chilling story. Yeah, we talked about this before. I literally had to... Me, a grown man who's 26, uh, had to go out of my office and my home, go downstairs, and double check that my doors were locked to, I don't know, I was very scared and very, like, eerie doing research on this topic. Yeah. Which, truly insane how I haven't heard of this before. That's kind of the number one thing that I thought of. Like, how is this not 
like a movie. I'm sure it is. Like, yeah, in the I European think there are markets, some, but, but yeah, there. Uh, a woman wrote a book. I don't remember. I think it's called Murder Farm. That's based on this story, but it's a fictional account, and I uh, think that was made into a movie. But yeah, I don't know if any like major U.S. like filmmakers have made one. I'm pretty sure it's just German. We might need to remake this then. This yeah. will be our this will be our <laughs> reintroduction to TikTok. It'll yeah, be... <laughs> yeah, us like remaking a murder. Yeah, we'll just need to borrow someone's farm. So if there's any listeners out there that want to rent out us their farm, so we can throw fake blood everywhere, <laughs> let us know. Yeah. But uh, this is a, a fairly well-known true crime story. It's one of like the most famous ones as far as like podcast coverage and stuff. So it's not like this is uncharted waters for people on podcasts to cover this. But you know, we had to take our swing at it. So right. here we go. But now it's our turn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so for those of you that don't know, the Hinterkaifeck murders occurred in 1922 in a small countryside of Bavaria. And the entire Gruber family and their live-in maid were brutally and systematically killed. On the surface, it was just another mass murder with a culprit who would be found after a thorough investigation and good police work. But what makes the Hinterkaifeck case endure as long as it has is the apparent lack of any killer. And one of the biggest theories at one point was a murder-suicide. And not only was there no killer, but the days and months leading up to the massacre proved to be full of strange occurrences and possible leads to explain what happened. So what actually did happen? Well, we've examined strange and unexplained murders on here in the past, and that was a mostly incoherent episode. But as is similar with the Lizzie Borden case, Hinterkaifeck remains unsolved for nearly 100 years and will likely remain so. Lack of motive, the isolated area in which the murders took place, and a plethora of rumors tied together into a very complex puzzle for the police to try and piece together. So without further ado, shall we get into the entire story of what happened on Hinterkaifeck Farm? Let's do it. Very excited to jump in here. I am too. Ah, so let's go back to 1863 Bavaria. Get your your oversized soft pretzels, your Beer spelled B I E R, not B E E R. And your Das Boot. The Das, I was just about to say <laughs> Das Boot. I can't even say put on the Sound of Music soundtrack because this is way before that. What a scene. I'm assuming that birds were also chirping off in the distance, like throughout the entire thing, even the, during the murders. The, like, amount the nature of is. Mustards just... on the table is just out of control. <laughs> that was actually one of the murder weapons. Just... <laughs> That's but, one of the, the, one of the motives was the mustards. Yeah, just. 17 things of mustard, but not the right one. Did you hear this family doesn't eat mustard with their pretzels? They pre- and then they were promptly tried as witches. But in 1863, in Hinterkaifeck, which isn't the actual name of the area, but the name that was given to the area when the farm was built, uh, a large L-shaped farmhouse consisting of a machine house, a barn, and a living quarters with a small tool shed on the property was built. And it's unknown who originally built it, but the whole house was situated on former open farmland and bordered on a woodland. So the house was located in between the Bavarian towns of Groburn to the north and Kaifeck to the south. And hinter is the German word for behind, so hinterkaifeck literally means behind Kaifeck. In 1885, the unknown owner of the farm died and left the homestead to his wife, Kazelia who married a man named Andreas Gruber a year later, and thus the ownership was shared between them. And shortly after they got married, they had their first daughter, Victoria. 
So you're getting to see a little family being built. Yes. It's a very idyllic, well, you'll see it's not so idyllic, but on the surface, it's idyllic family. Just got a new husband, new family starting, big new property. It's nice. What could possibly go wrong? Nothing. Except for Andreas was very unpopular in the local villages. Yep. (laughs) He was said to be ill-tempered and stingy and was even accused of physically abusing his wife, Kazelia. And then when Victoria was old enough, he turned the abuse onto her as well. Apparently, according to some sources, the couple even had a second daughter named Sophia, who died around the age of two, whom the villagers suspected may have died because of Andreas's harsh punishments. Because it was said that he was known to lock the girls out in the barn for like long periods of time if they were bad and stuff. So overall, not the best picture for this guy. Right. And keep in mind, this is in a very small rural community. So take it with a grain of salt. I, not grain of salt, but these could just be rumors. But for the most part, a lot of them kind of were confirmed that he wasn't a good guy by any means. And the rumors in this case are actually probably the best sources of information for a lot of this because, I mean, most of this isn't written down. It's just a small farmland. So So, overall, the family was well regarded despite the rumors going around about Andreas because most of the locals dismissed the rumors as hearsay and knew the Grubers as a hardworking and mostly benevolent family who took in desperate people who needed work, and that benefited both them and it benefited the people that they were hiring on. And it also helped that Victoria was said to be friendly and approachable as she grew older, so she kind of put on a face for the family to say, we're not that bad, we're just kind of, we kind of keep to ourselves. Right, yeah, just keep to themselves, everything's fine, look how pretty I am. <laughs> yeah. So eventually, Victoria met and got married to a man named Carl Gabriel in 1914, and after the marriage, Carl and Victoria had the property of Hinterkaifeck passed down to them in accordance with the marriage contract. So I don't know if that was a custom at the time that the children would inherit the farm like immediately upon getting married or what, but... Andreas and Kazelia just passed it down to them because, I, honestly, they were both getting up there in age. I mean, mm-hmm. Kazelia was over 60 and Andreas was like in his late 50s. So it's probably just assumed also in their culture that they would just still be able to stay at the farmhouse. Right. Exactly. But just if anything, like they died suddenly, that was already transferred to these two newlyweds. Yeah. But this new marriage wasn't set to last too long. First of all, Carl couldn't really handle the cheapness and the taxing lifestyle that he lived with the Grubers, and he said he was even sometimes being forced to skip meals to save money. So it's starting to become too much for him living this really frugal lifestyle that the Grubers were used to living, because they were pretty well set for what they did. They were just farmers, Mm -hmm. but they didn't really spend their money. They just stayed home and did their own thing. So. He wasn't used to that. Right. Not much uh, of an outgoing life, we should say. And plus, they're one in a very rural, small community, so there's probably not much to do to begin with. But also, just with the cheapness, you also have to skip a meal. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And living with a man who is supposedly not the best guy, I'm assuming there is a lot of arguments and fights that happened outside of just that factor. Right. And who's supposedly abusing 
from time to time your just married wife and your mother-in-law and your mother-in-law so eventually he got drafted to fight in world war one only four months after his marriage to victoria but he did spend long enough with her to get her pregnant so he got her pregnant said peace went out to the war and shortly after was said to have been killed in action while on deployment thus leaving the widow Victoria behind with their new daughter, who they named, or who Victoria named Cazelia Jr. after her mother. By 1915, rumors began to spread that Andreas and Victoria were carrying on an incestuous relationship. So, another <laughs> mark against this guy. Some sources say that the patriarch of the Gruber family was even sentenced to a year in prison and his daughter to a month for the crime of incest. And around 1919, Victoria gave birth to a second child, a son named Joseph. It's either Joseph or Joseph. I don't know the correct pronunciation, but it's spelled Joseph. The uh, father was claimed to be the family's neighbor, whose name was Lorenz Schlittenbauer. His name was even listed on the birth certificate, but eventually rumors began to spread that the child was actually fathered by Andreas. He was acquitted of the charges leveled against him, and Lorenz eventually accepted that he was the father, potentially getting paid off by Victoria to stop slandering Andreas. Right. That was actually one of my, one of my sources tells, it's like you mentioned that some of the stories conflict a little bit, depending on the source. For example, one of my sources, I believe this one's from grunge.com, um, said that uh, Victoria not only paid uh, Lorenz off to admit that he was the father, but also came to him just scream crying, just very emotional, just begging him to take acceptance of this child, and that Andreas and Victoria were turned in by an, like an anonymous source, too. So you kind of start to feel like if that is the correct thing that happened, that there is you know a feeling of you know distrust in the community about these two individuals who are carrying on a... Um, an icky relationship. Yeah. And I do I, I saw in a couple sources too that Lorenz actually accused both of or Andreas specifically oh, of, okay. of this relationship. And he was one of the ones that brought him into court later on. So right, I mean right. this is already like butting heads with the guy you live next to, mm-hmm. so whose wife like just recently died and he's because he's seeking a romantic relationship with your daughter now mm-hmm. and apparently has a kid with him. So, I mean, there's a lot of different emotions getting tied together here that might turn out to not work out for everyone. There's a lot going on behind, yeah. behind the scenes. And yeah. It's very interesting, just differences of murder cases. This seems like this has so much before the actual murder happens. Yeah. Uh, compared to other famous murder cases where they seem more random. Right. So there is, you know, we're setting the scene for, you know, what might happen. Not only was life on a farm already hard, especially in early 1900s Germany, but the new world war that was raging was making it even more difficult for agricultural sectors of German life due to high demand to feed soldiers and inflation rates spiking. But since the Grubers were so frugal, they didn't really suffer too much economically. But six months before the events that came to be known as the Hinterkaifeck murders took place at the farm, their live-in maid told the Grubers that she was quitting. 
So this just added more stress on top of an already stressful environment, mm-hmm. especially after you have all of these rumors spreading about your family. Now the war is here. Now your maid's quitting. So things are kind of just stacking up to go against the groupers at this point. Right. Some right. of it's self-inflicted. So the maid, whose name was Krizenz Rieger, had been working at the farm since November of 1920, and during her stay at the Gruber residence, she eventually started to cite weird occurrences. These occurrences had nothing to do with the hardworking lifestyle of the farm or the rough economic times, but rather that she believed their house was haunted. So according to Krizenz, she had been hearing constant footsteps in the, in the attic, She brought it up to Andreas, but after investigations, along with all of the rumors already swirling around the family, he dismissed the concerns. But Krizenz did not falter. She continued her claims of the footsteps as well as a feeling of constantly being watched. And eventually she had enough, and she quit. Still not believing her, Andreas still dismissed this as just an unfortunate occurrence. But soon after, the rest of the family started to apparently hear things in the night as well. Specifically, Kazelia Jr. was falling asleep in class because she was being kept up at night. But nobody could really figure out where these noises were coming from. And at this point, this is where during the research I went to my doors to make sure they were locked. (laughs) Yeah. Because that is absolutely, that's so scary just to hear, like, keep in mind, constant footsteps above you. For six months. Yeah. You're hearing voices and, like, footsteps upstairs. And then you're just being gaslit for it. You're like, no, nothing's happening. What are you talking about? This is just a stereotypical dad during a scary movie. Yeah, exactly. Like, the kid's fine. The maid's fine. They're just overreacting. Yeah. And I mean, this is just like a rural farmhouse. It's not like mm-hmm. their attic is just full of stuff. It's, oh, yeah. it, it's just like a pretty bare bones, like wooden attic. So, I mean, any footsteps you hear up there are going to be pretty loud. And I mean, there's probably not going to be too many places to hide. So I feel like if you mm-hmm. just did look and there was someone up there, you could probably find them, but apparently not. Maybe he was just blaming like the household cat or like one of the barn cats and the maid's like, what kind of cat has boots on? I mean, they did have a dog, apparently a Pomeranian. Ooh, good boy. I don't know if it actually was. I only saw Pomeranian in one source, but if there's a farm Pomeranian in the story, that's pretty cute. Certified good boy. Or girl. So things escalated even more on the farm in the coming weeks. A newspaper from Munich showed up in the house that did not belong to the Grubers or any of the surrounding neighbors. And with Munich being over 40 miles away, it was unlikely that someone had just stumbled upon it and brought it home. Around the same time, Andreas noticed a few more peculiar things. The lock and the handle on the tool shed looked as though someone had been trying to break into it. And not only that, but a set of the house keys had vanished too. And then came the most unsettling occurrence of all. One day, after a snowfall, Andreas went to the back door and upon opening it, noticed a set of footprints leading to the back door. But the weird thing about these footprints is the fact that there was only a set of footprints arriving at the door. There are no return footprints that head back to the forest. So this either meant that a ghost walked out of the woods to the door and then ceased to exist, or someone had arrived at the back door and somehow gotten into the house. There is no other footprints found, and nobody could figure out what they were doing there. At this point, Andreas went next door and tells Lorenz about what had been happening at the farm, and Lorenz even offered to let the Grubers borrow one of his rifles for the time being, an offer which Andreas would fatefully refuse. 
I just can't imagine opening your back door and seeing one set of footprints. Yeah. It, it, I, guess, I guess there is a, a possibility that someone could have walked to the house and then just like very carefully went back in their own footprints. But what is the point of doing that? Like if you if you're already gonna be noticed coming to the house, what's the mm. point in like hiding the fact that you left? Right. So it just doesn't make any sense that there's just this set of footprints arriving at the house and nothing else. Yeah, that's just like coupled with everything else that's already happened, that's already been stolen or missing, and then seeing this, like you clearly have someone trying to get into your house and yeah. is in your house. Right. Like if someone's someone's stolen the house keys and there's papers showing up from other cities, like someone is here other than you guys, or this is just like the most intense haunting ever created. This so, is the go like this is that ghost's like Super Bowl. Yeah, he went I, balls to the walls. On March thirty first, nineteen twenty two, the Gruber's new live-in maid, Maria Baumgartner, arrived at Hinterkaifeck for her first day on the job. It was shaping up to be a normal day for the family, an exciting one at that, considering Maria would be useful for relieving some of that stress on the family. After all, they've been doing all the extra work around the farm while being down a helper since the last maid left. But the next day, the whole family failed to show up for church, even though Victoria was a member of the choir. On April 3rd, Kazelia missed school. The same thing, ha- same thing happened the following day, and this is when people began to worry. Alongside that, the local mailman reported that all of the mail had begun to pile up, too, on the residents. And remember, very small community. So if you miss a church service, it's noticed. Yeah. It's like they're all co- usually going there for prayer. And then add to that the fact that one of them's in the choir. That's a pretty big deal that they're not showing up. And then when Kazelia starts missing school for a f- couple days, it's just all stacking up to not be a good scenario. So by April 4th, a man had arrived to do some work on the farm equipment, but when he tried to tell the family that he was there, he was met with no response. He peered through the windows but couldn't see anyone inside, and he found that the equipment was available to service, so he serviced it without letting the family know he was there, and then just pretty much left them a note saying, I fixed the machinery, just pay me when you can. In addition to this, a coffee salesman also stopped by and noticed that the dog was let out, but there was no one responding at the house. So after these reports reached Lorenz Schlittenbauer, he sent his sons over to the Gruber residence to check on the family. They went over there, and they said that they didn't find anything or anyone home, so Lorenz himself went over to the house with a couple of other local men. When he arrived and found no one in the house, the search party checked the barn. When Lorenz stumbled over a pile of hay as he entered the barn, he looked closer and found a gruesome scene. Underneath the hay lay the bodies of Andreas, both the elder and junior Cazelia, and Victoria. The bodies had been stacked on top of one another and covered haphazardly with the hay. The elder Cazelia showed signs of strangulation and nearly ten blows to the head which cracked her skull. Andreas had his face smashed and his cheekbones extruded from the skin. Victoria's skull was similarly smashed, and she had multiple star-shaped wounds on her face. The younger Cazelia had clumps of her own hair in her hands, and her jaw was shattered, with circular wounds spotting her face and neck. 
It was also believed that she had survived multiple hours after the attack, pulling out her own hair in distress and eventually dying of shock. Inside the house, they found the bodies of Maria Baumgartner and two-year-old Joseph, both dead in their rooms. Maria had died from blows to the head and both her body and Joseph's had been covered, hers in a sheet and Joseph with one of Victoria's dresses. Maria hadn't even finished unpacking her things yet. Yeah, without a doubt one of the most gruesome scenes I think we've ever covered on on the show. Yeah, I'll probably just like warning content. This episode features gruesome scenes of violence and talk of incest. It's yeah. like I'll probably th- take that, throw it at the beginning. We kind of yeah, we kind of cover uh humanity's greatest uh greatest hits when it comes to sins, just yeah. gruesome murders and ugh. But the but, only reason I really got into like some of the details is just to show like how brutal this was. Right. It's almost so brutal there had to be hatred involved. Yeah, and like we mentioned at the beginning, it's been a hundred years. No one's been convicted of this yet. So Yeah, yeah. And it's just so sad too, not to bring up the gruesome details again, but uh little Kazalia, you know, pulling out her hair in distress, not knowing what's fully going on. Like your heart just definitely goes out to to her like that's so unbelievably unbelievably sad yeah the whole situation is just very uh, I, don't, I don't even have a, like the right word to describe it it's just like very bad like how do you even have something like this happen and then it goes unnoticed for as long as it does and then also just never gets resolved so we're talking like is it three to four four days four days uh that these bodies were just there and people were still like in and out of the house. Like the coffee salesmen were not like in the house, but we're in the area. Like a guy came just happened to not discover it. It's a very gruesome scene. And you also have to think with those people coming in and out, like what did they touch by accident? When we get to the investigation part of things. Right. Uh, Cause that's definitely a huge, huge part of this as well. But yeah, it's, such a almost like vengeful hateful it definitely seems like a crime of passion at this point yeah right so i mean like even what not to keep on droning on about this but like you don't really see like with serial ah never mind you do see a lot of hate with serial killers because they're usually like oh i hate women and now i'm going to do these disgusting things right but with serial killers it's usually not someone like you know though right it's usually just like a targeted group of people yeah. that you can like marginalize and take advantage of. Yeah. So that's that's why in this case when we get to the suspects, I don't think that some of them really make any sense even though they're yeah. like a strong candidate. It just it it's such a baffling case. I just I I can understand why this hasn't been solved for yeah. as long as it has and probably never will be. Right, and also 1922, so Right. It's like, oh, look at all this blood. And the, t- and the investigators, I'm quoting John Mulaney in one of his skits. <laughs> the, the investigators are like, oh, look at all this blood. And then the lead one goes, ew, clean it up. Clean it up. <laughs> <laughs> Get it out of my sight. <laughs> now, let's go off my hunch. <laughs> so after the bodies were found, the investigation began shortly after. Court physician Dr. Johann Baptiste Almuller conducted the family's autopsies on the property. He was able to deduce that the family had died around 9.30 p.m. on March 31st, 
due to the fact that some of the family was dressed for bed. It was believed that the four members of the family who had been found in the barn were somehow lured into the barn one at a time and sequentially murdered. The tool used to kill the family was a mattock, or basically a rudimentary pickaxe. However, it was not initially found at the scene. And I don't know if you've seen pictures of what a mattock looks like, but it's just like this big, there's a blunt-ended side and it's like a sharp or a pointed end side. It's basically just a giant pickaxe, but... Oh, right. Yeah, it, you do not want to get hit by this no. boy. Yeah. And from what it sounds like, I mean, most of the injuries were done by the blunt axe of it, or the blunt end of it. Yeah. So, yeah, that doesn't seem like a fun time. But it did, most of the investigation did say that, like, Andreas and, like, Victoria and the elder Cazelia probably all died pretty much right away. Right, which is a saving grace, yes. I suppose. So, it just is unfortunate that the one that did end up surviving longer is the seven-year-old. Right. It's also very interesting that the ones that were killed in the barn were lured to the barn yeah. for whatever reason. So just so curious as to what could have possibly led, like one by one. Yeah. Also, these people went to their deaths and it's just so curious, you know, how did that happen? How were they lured there? It could have also been as simple as, oh, grandpa's been out there for a while. I'll go check on him. And then the next person, oh, they've been out there for a while. I'll go check. So Right. But it doesn't make sense to me that way unless, because I would assume that Andreas was probably the first one killed. Mm-hmm. But for him to be the first one killed, why was he in the barn in his nightgown? And that's stuff. right. So Correct, it, that yeah. doesn't really make any sense to me. But like, there's no real explanation for what people think is the factor that lured them in there. There's not, at least from what I could find. Right. Like, I think the best thing that I found was maybe like a cow got loose or something. And so one of them went out and they're like, oh, I'll go take it back in. And then they just never came back. Yeah. That which could... that could very well be. So, yeah. Or it's a ghost that's just luring them in. Or it was the cow. <laughs> <laughs> the whole time it was hiding in plain sight. Right, it's just furious. Like, touch my udders again. <laughs> <laughs> so perhaps the most chilling detail was that they're able to figure out whoever was responsible for the grizzly killing continued to stay on the property for days after the family was dead. Mm. And if you were carefully listening earlier, I did mention that when the coffee salesman stopped by, the dog was let out. Yep. So, whoever was staying here was taking care of things. Evidence of this can be found in the fact that the neighbors said they saw smoke rising from the chimney at the house as well. Not only that, but the fire had been tended to, and the farm animals had been taken care of and fed. The perpetrator had even gone through the trouble of milking the cows. So, whoever was doing this was very comfortable with just staying on the property. Yeah, absolutely no guilt for what they had just done. This is a very bossy move. And it's also, you have to think, if this person was in the house already for months, they probably thought it was their house. Like, that was probably, like, their mental um, illness that they thought that they had ownership of the house. And then was like, I'm sick of these other people getting all, all the... Yeah, I guess. It's either that or they're just like, this is a nice place. I'm just going to stay here for a little while until, they like, the heat gets too close and they're right. get out of here. But... You think about that too. Whoever did this had three to four days in the house. They could have done anything to the crime scene that they wanted to to manipulate things. 
but also like it seems like they didn't really touch anything as far as the murder like the murdered victims mm-hmm. after the fact so they're just living here with all of these bodies just laying where they were left and not really doing anything about it so right like the three were covered in the barn were covered by hay and the girl was covered by a dress and the maid was covered with a sheet so it's he did not i assume i should say they i guess they did not do a dang thing to cover this up it's pretty insane to me and also just to just spend days like at the dinner table where that family was yeah and just have meals do their chores he was just apparently a huge animal lover i guess yeah that's the thing and the dog it's like you're taking (laughs) care of everything on the farm you're going through all of the trouble to make sure that the household chores get done but you're not above just massacring an entire family yeah including a child it's two children two yeah that's correct two children you killed a two-year-old like that's Mm -hmm. it's just mind-boggling so at this point police are struggling to find a motive but due to the brutality of the crimes, as we mentioned earlier, they believed it had to be someone who had a personal vendetta against the Gruber family and that this had to be a crime of passion. Robbery was also brought up as a possible motive, but the detectives found that large sums of money were found in relatively simple spots to find in the house, so this theory was largely dismissed. But despite this, things were very complicated due to multiple factors. The family had lived in a somewhat remote location, so it wasn't entirely noticed that they were dead for multiple days. Due to this, the killer was able to live in and manipulate the crime scene after their commission of the crime, and not only that, but Lorenz was claimed to have gone wild after initially finding the bodies, looking for Yosef, or Joseph, apparently yelling about finding his son. He had free reign around the farmstead until the police showed up, and even after showing up, the police didn't do any fingerprint analysis of the crime scene, which that was one of the biggest things to me that would have been like a saving grace in this case. Even if it didn't get solved immediately, like those could have been saved and used later on mm-hmm. because fingerprinting at this time was a relatively well-regarded source of police work because from what I could find in the U.S., it was used pretty pretty prominently like by 1904 so it's not like this is an unheard of practice to go fingerprint these people and these police officers i didn't mention are from munich so this is like a bigger police force not just some rural cop going out there and trying to solve this mm-hmm. so that was one of the things that aggravated me the most which is like the lack of thorough police work but i mean i guess what are you gonna do it's 1922 in rural germany so i also heard and in- or not heard, saw in one of my sources, read in one of my sources that before the police could get there, multiple members of the community had come to see what had happened. Yeah. So above uh, Lorenz and kind of the search party that he came with. So multiple, like, then just imagine, like, the entire town coming in. Apparently some were, like, poking the bodies as well. Um, Basically just kind of whittling down any concrete evidence that could be found yeah and uh, maybe that sheet and dress weren't even put on those two bodies inside the house maybe that was like lorenz yeah it very well could have been or someone else so you're definitely seeing not proper crime scene integrity i don't even know if that's a saying but yeah and then also munich is so far away from this uh from oh man hinterkaifeck yeah <laughs> so smart so like they took a while to get there 
um, which kind of allowed all this. But yeah, just a crazy investigation or lack thereof. Almost. Yeah, and I don't mean to like blame them entirely for this not getting solved. I mean, there's not really a ton that they could have done at this point because it had been so messed with before they got there. But some of the stuff that they do, like besides just not fingerprinting and stuff, make me just like, what are you guys doing here? They had to get to their hunch. Yeah. So one of those things that makes me aggravated is, at this time in history, it was a common practice for police forces to enlist the help of mediums and clairvoyants (laughs) to help them with their investigations. So for this purpose, the heads of the Gruber family were removed and sent to Munich for further, further research by multiple clairvoyants. So despite these metaphysical efforts, nothing new was found out, and due to the chaos of World War I, the skulls were either lost in the fray or destroyed, so this meant that the entire Gruber family was buried without their heads, and in 1923, the farm was demolished. That is, without a doubt, an insane paragraph, just, uh, yeah, like, they just employed, you know, clairvoyance, psychics, to help them get to the bottom of this mass murder. Yeah. And why the heads? Were they trying to like see into the memory? I, I guess I don't know. I guess I'm asking the wrong gentleman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? You're not like just in tune with nineteen twenties German clairvoyant police practices? The whole time <laughs> I was reading like researching that aspect of it, it just made me think of the movie Malignant because one of the characters the whole time is saying like are we going to bring in a medium now? And the cop's like, we don't do that. And then eventually by the end of the movie, they're like, all right, we're going to go talk to this medium. Right. (laughs) It just reminded me of that. But yeah, I don't know what the purpose of sending the heads was because the heads were the most important pieces of evidence in this case because... That's where all the wounds were. Yeah, that's where (laughs) everyone was attacked. And I mean, they did already figure out what the murder weapon was and stuff, but there could have been plenty of other stuff left on those skulls as evidence so it seems to me that you lost pretty important piece of of police evidence there but yeah i got nothing else that's just so so bonkers to to think and i don't know where that even stems from because germany at this point is a global powerhouse yeah like they had been for decades but i mean like mediums and uh what do you call it i guess just like psychic stuff was really big at this time Mm. so i mean you can't really blame the police for getting involved with that aspect of it because it was such a prevalent thing in society as a whole so i guess it's just something that they got caught up in and then it ended up not working out for them but right i suppose it actually does make sense because whenever we talk about hitler um, not comparing these two stories, but Hitler was just very into, you know, more of the mythology, you know, spiritual background that's, that's stuff. That's what I was trying to say. Spiritualism. Spiritualism yes. was huge around this Right, time. right, right. So I guess that does make sense um, in a way. But, yeah. I, <laughs> but not a way that helps you solve a murder of an no. entire family. No, sir, it does not. So that's pretty much the story as we know it. I did have one thing. I'm okay. not sure if you're going to mention this later. You can cut this if, if you are. So one of my sources, uh, historicmysteries.com, actually said that when they demolished the farm, that's when they actually decided to check the attic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that's where they found the murder weapon. Yep. Like That's where they found the, 
thematic that was used to kill this family, which, how do you not check the attic? Right. How is that not... Especially after reports from the last maid who was saying, like, I heard weird stuff in the attic the entire time I was there. Right, and they interviewed, like, hundreds of people, correct? Yeah. Like, from the entire area, including her. And how are you not just... I mean, so they're above checking the attic for supposed footsteps, <laughs> but they're sending off heads yeah. <laughs> to, to uh, clairvoyance, which, I don't know, that's probably one of the most frustrating things, the fact that the murder weapon was there. And granted, from what I heard, the weapon was, like, under the floorboards, like someone had taken floorboards up and then put it underneath. Oh, gotcha, okay. But also, they found it, like, that the floorboards were loose when they went to check the attic, so either mm-hmm. they just went in the attic and didn't do like a very thorough look through and mm-hmm. just didn't notice that these floorboards were loose or what. But yeah, it, it is pretty frustrating. Yeah. Thing. And like, that's a case where I'm sure the fingerprints would have been on that weapon mm-hmm. if it had been used multiple times. So why are you not keeping that? And then just using fingerprint analysis there. Whole lot of why not? Why didn't you? But- yep. As is the case with every unsolved. Like they're <laughs> unsolved for a reason. Oh, gosh, yeah, for sure. So now we're going to get into the list of possible suspects. And I took the ones that I thought were the most prevalent. I don't, Evan might have a couple that I don't, but... Oh, you have my number one okay. listed here, so... So the, big, the biggest suspect to this day of the case was neighbor Lorenz Schlittenbauer. The reason that he was the most suspected person in the crime was the fact that he did have a relationship with Victoria after his wife had died. And it was said that during this relationship, he approached Andreas about possibly marrying Victoria, but Andreas's short temper led him to chase Lorenz off the property with a scythe. <laughs> of all the weapons, too, that's probably <laughs> no. the most intimidating for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm just imagining him like full Grim Reaper outfit, like, get off my land. Get off me. <laughs> In a black hood and everything, just really committing to the bit. So, as you might assume, that may have led towards some resentment for the Gruber family from Lorenz. So, it was also claimed by the two men who were with Lorenz when they discovered the bodies that he may have had keys to the house to open the front door. And whether this is just because he had keys that the family had given him in case, or the fact that the house keys went missing a couple weeks before the murders, I mean, it could just be coincidence, but it's also suspicious. These same men also claimed that while they were in complete shock upon finding the bodies, Lorenz seemed reasonably calm, aside from the fact that he was yelling about finding Joseph. Lorenz also would have known his way around the property relatively well after his relationship with Victoria and living next to the Grubers for a while. But while he may look like a good suspect, it's quite unlikely that Lorenz would have been able to live and tend to the Gruber farm while also taking care of his own, because his family would have pretty easily noticed his absence. And in my opinion, if he supposedly wanted to marry Victoria and even claimed Joseph as his own son, it seems unlikely to me that he would go and kill both of them, especially Joseph, the two-year-old. And despite all of this looking like he was the best suspect, most of this is just circumstantial, and he even won multiple court cases for slander after the crime. So, in my opinion, I don't think it was him, but I don't know about you. 
I think I'll wait to give my number one all-star okay. suspect uh, at them after we go through of them. But just with Lorenz, um, he also, just with his relationship with Joseph, he commonly referred to Joseph as Mein Burbel, which is German for, like, my boy. Yeah. So, I mean, to your point, I can't imagine him being so impassioned to find Joseph and then subsequently you know, freaking out when seeing that he's dead. That he would be the killer unless he's just the world's greatest actor. Yeah. Um. Side note, Lorenz, he has just piercing eyes, which oh, when really? I was doing my research at first, ooh, I had to uh, scroll quickly past them because <laughs> I don't those even... eyes say murder, 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 murder. <laughs> I don't even think I know what he looks like, honestly. Oh, man. Well, but yeah, I do agree with you. I don't think that he is our likely number yeah. one Especially if he won several slander cases. That's actually extremely interesting. I could see him killing Victoria, honestly. I could see that just being a fit of rage in the moment type thing. Mm -hmm. And him just... Or it could have been him being like, I already killed your mother and father and your younger daughter, and now I have to kill you kind of a thing just to cover it up. But I still can't see him killing Joseph. Like, right. just say that the whole family was killed except Joseph and then take Joseph as your son. Mm-hmm. Like, there's the, no reason for you to kill a two-year-old. It's not like he's going to rat you out to the police. Absolutely. So, Definitely true. And they could have even been just another scenario. Maybe him and Victoria were continuing their relationship and they happened to be in the barn. And then Andreas came in and discovered them. And that kind of led all the murder to happen. That's completely out of my butt. Yeah. I'm making I mean, that up. That's not a real story. All, all of this is just our own personal beliefs now. So. I'm just over here making scripts to a potential <laughs> movie. <laughs> so one of the more outlandish suspects, in my opinion, was Victoria's former husband, Carl Gabriel. So this theory states that despite records of Victoria's husband, Carl, dying during the war, he may have committed the crime because his body was never recovered, and rumors from German POWs after World War I allege that they met and were released by a German-speaking Soviet officer who claims responsibility for the murders at Hinterkaifeck. But these same POWs later revised these claims, so it may have tarnished the fact that they originally said them. There are others who have claimed to see Carl after his supposed death, too, and some believe that perhaps he is returning to seek revenge on the family after finding out about the possible incestuous relationship between Andreas and his daughter and his poor treatment during his short marriage to Victoria. However, as with Lorenz, there's no hard evidence found, and nobody was even sure, like 100%, that he was still alive after the war. The His, like... The people that were in his company with him said that they saw him die, but he was supposedly so badly disfigured it was hard to even tell who it was. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a possibility he's still alive, but I I just don't see him like surviving war, going to Russia, and then coming back and doing this, and then going back to Russia. That is very true, and I'll admit, personally, because I love the the outlandish, I am a little extra. I do think that this, like, given how brutal the crimes were and basically saying that they were motivated by severe personal hatred, in my opinion, 
I do kind of think it might be Carl. I I if we're following the crime of passion if we're logic, yes, the, he definitely could fit the bill for that for sure. Yeah, and that's where my head's at. Also, just with the reports that see, I didn't know your point. That's kind of what our thing with the conflicting sources. Your point of how the German POWs revised their story. Because when I heard that there was a Russian soldier that, you know, looked exactly like him, apparently, or sounded like him, and claimed it, like, in my head, I was like, oh, this has to be him. Right. So, in my head, I do still think that there's a more... I like the idea that it could be Carl. Yeah. Because just with how brutal these murders are, and the fact that a child was killed if Carl or since Carl was a member of, excuse me, since Carl participated in World War One, he could have some form of PTSD or mental illness uh, stemming from the war, which kind of added on top of um, your wife is with someone else, I guess ex-wife is with someone else and also maybe with her dad still. All of that coupled up would lead to a crime of passion, and that's why I think it's Carl. I do think that there's support for it in the fact that if it is Carl, I could see him killing the entire family. Mm-hmm. I could see him killing Joseph especially because that's not his son. Yep. So he's just upset, and he sees this as a subject of hatred now. So all that two-year-old is to him is something that needs to be taken off this earth. Right. So for that aspect, I could see it. But the thing with me is just like, one, how did he get to be a Russian officer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Two, how, if these German POWs saw him, they would have to have known what he looked like before in an entire German army. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they said, oh, he, we recognized him <laughs> is very like... A very slim chance to me. Right. So, I don't know. It's There's just too many things in this one that stack against it, in my opinion, that it wouldn't be them, but there wouldn't be him. But it's still an interesting theory, nonetheless. It definitely is. It's definitely outlandish. Like I mentioned, I'm very extra. <laughs> but for a apparently dead German soldier to then become a Russian officer, <laughs> very unlikely. I guess with World War One, I, I mean, Russia did bow out a little bit early of... They, they didn't see the end of World War One because they had their own problems at home. Like, this is when the communist revolution uh, occurred, or the, uh, um, basically, the Bol- thank you, the Bolshevik um, yeah. revolt occurred. So, again, very outlandish. Most likely not true. I mean, true. this whole story's outlandish, so yeah. <laughs> the craziest thing could be true in this case. Right, but for the named suspects, I think it was Mr. Carl Gabriel. So a couple more that I had, the, the first one being the Bickler brothers. So Anton and Carl Bickler were men with criminal pasts and known as local troublemakers, but they were hired on to work at Hinterkaifeck by the Grubers while their previous mate was working there. So as we mentioned earlier, the Grubers were not above hiring people that were desperate for work, which Carl and Anton would have been. But Krizenz Rieger, the former maid, claimed that Anton had a calming effect on the dog who never barked at him as opposed to everyone else. So this would be a theory as to why the dog was never alerted to someone else being on the property. She also believed that one of the brothers and sources cited both of them in different accounts. So I don't know which one it was specifically, 
but one of the brothers came to her window at night and tried to encourage her to quit her job and run away with him, but she denied, which led the Bickler brother to believe the Grubers were in the way and, according to him, needed to be dealt with. The Bicklers had also been caught stealing on the property, and one, ne- one neighbor even claimed that he saw Carl Bickler in a nearby town eating more than he could afford, and when confronted about it, supposedly that he'd said he'd be dumb to, quote, get his hands dirty when he could get them bloody. So all of this accounts to a pretty good suspect in these two brothers. So at first I was like, man, this is really leading to something cool. Like this, may- mm-hmm. maybe this is the people that did it. But the evidence here was also circumstantial, such as the dog not barking and their knowledge of the property. And Carl was brought in on May 4th, 1922, about a month after the murder, and admitted to thefts on the property, but he had an alibi for his denial of the murder charge, along with his brother Anton. Mm -hmm. So apparently they were out drinking at a uh, bar together after work that night, So, and the barmaid at that bar did vouch for their story. So, I mean, either they're all lying, and they were in on it together, and she got paid off or something, or... They actually weren't there. Right. I mean, this definitely is a very, or these two are very prime suspects. Um, very interesting that they, about the dog, though, just like with us owning dogs, you know, they freak out about everything. So that calming effect could lead to it, but I mean, also very circumstantial. That was one of the biggest things for me was the fact that he would have been able to sneak past that dog and get mm-hmm. in. But also, I mean, if, if you're already sneaking into the house, then you're probably going to do a good job of just not getting in the places where the dog's going to see you. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like it's probably easy enough to avoid it if you're careful. So, Yeah, and it also doesn't really make, just with these two, it doesn't really go in step with the footsteps in the attic. Yeah. Thing and neither is Lorenz. So, hey, another point, Carl. Maybe he was <laughs> in the attic. But I mean, if the former maid was to be to be believed that there was footsteps in the attic, she was constantly being watched, then that would kind of discredit the Bickler brothers as well as as well as Lorenz. Yeah. Um but still very interesting. What a quote to say I I'd I'd be dumb to get my hands dirty when I could get them bloody. Yeah. Like who says that? Very, Out in the open. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, point Carl. Point Carl. <laughs> Okay, so now that Carl's got one more point, check. <laughs> we're going to get to my last suspect that I have listed, which is the Toller brothers. So, Joseph and Andreas Toller grew up near the farm and had previously tried to rob the Hendrik farm, but were chased off with a rifle by Andreas. The older brother, Joseph, was also interested. Keep saying Joseph instead of Joseph, and go go back and forth. Gonna start calling you Jacob. <laughs> the older brother Joseph was also interested in Krizens, the living maid, but never ran into the Bicklers in his nightly escapades to charm her. Krizens ignored him most nights, but one night when she asked what he wanted, Joseph supposedly claimed to know which rooms the family members slept in, along with the fact that they had large sums of money on the property. At the same time that he was talking to Grzenz, another character showed up with Joseph, who the maid believed to be his brother Andreas. And before they left, both of them supposedly shifted their eyes towards the attic 
the attic of the house, where Krizenz had been claiming to hear footsteps and where the murder weapon was later found underneath the floorboards. Along with their claims of always feeling watched, the Tallers were a good target, however they were never charged. And this is the one that I think is probably the best suspect out of what I found, because if the claim is true that he did recite which rooms each family member slept in and Mm -hmm. where they were hiding money in the house, and he was most likely watching the maid while she slept, that would corroborate a lot of what she was feeling and hearing. So, I mean, there's really not much other than the claims of the maid, though. So that's why it's just not a solid story. But I also, I'd rather believe the maid that lived on the property for almost a year rather than some random German POWs that claimed a Russian guy was the guy that killed him. <laughs> so I don't know. That, All right, minus one point for Carl. <laughs> I'd, it's, there's just no real clear-cut one that seems the best. That is very true, because the Thaler brothers seem to be very motivated also by the money. Yeah. And from, I believe there was actually no money stolen. No, there wasn't. Which At is, all. So I don't know if we mentioned that, but like there was nothing stolen from this. Yeah. From this entire farm. Because like the police said, there was large sums of money just in like relatively easy spots to find that wasn't taken. So Right. So, I mean, that's just kind of just goes more towards, you know, crime of passion. But it does seem like this maid is like the key to, yeah, key right. to everything. And that's where it's like the rumors seem to be like the best source of evidence in this case. Yeah. Since we don't have any hard evidence anymore. Right, right. The heads are gone. No fingerprints. Like, what else do we have to go on at this point? Right. I did see just, you know, a different, I believe it was two different accounts of, and these are all just rumors, but a nearby neighbor saying that they saw someone that they didn't know on the road holding a lantern leaving the house, like from the road, like not on the property, but like on the road. Again, like that's complete hearsay. And then the other one was, that someone may have seen someone in the forest around the property, like kind of leading to like the stranger, yeah, you know, that did it. But yeah, it could have just it, been some completely random person, right? Yeah, that and like a hundred interviews were done, like we mentioned for this investigation. I believe over a hundred, and I mean all of these different suspects had alibis, even old Carl was dead (laughs) yeah most likely dead most likely blown up by something so there is one more thing that i don't really think is super believable but i thought it was interesting Uh, a man named bill james wrote a book with i believe his daughter called the man from the train in i think it was 2017 and the whole book is based upon the premise that there was a series of murders that had similar mo's in america in the early 1900s there's one in Villisca, Iowa, which I've mentioned on here before, where an entire family was killed by someone with an axe on, like, Christmas. And there is more on, like, the East Coast of the United States that he covers through and says, like, all of these are similar MOs. And I believe it was a man named Paul Mueller that did all of them because he was a logger at the time and he was traveling for work around the United States, so it would make sense that he was taking trains, and like apparently the pathways to these different locations were connected by train, mm-hmm. so it would kind of make sense that this guy did it all, and then he kind of just like 
secondhand throws in. Like I also think he did it the Hinter Kaifek murders because once the heat got too hot in America, he went back to his native Germany mm-hmm. and committed this crime. And apparently one of his MOs was that he didn't leave money or he didn't take money and sometimes even like left a little of his own money to throw off the police. So I don't know. I didn't read the book. I don't know like how thorough this guy's research was into the thing, but it just kind of seemed like a throwaway answer to me. That is extremely interesting. Yeah, it is very mysterious that if all these connections come back to the same place, right? Coming back to the homeland to do some destruction after a little rum spring in the United States. Exactly. So there's a lot of interesting and like, weird suspects that you wouldn't really think would be involved in this that somehow get thrown in the mix. So Mm -hmm. just a big jumble. But after dozens of suspects and no arrests, the case still remains cold to this day. A police academy did reopen the case in 2007 when students attempted to use modern investigation techniques to figure out the killer, but they didn't reach any definitive answers due to the amount of time that had passed although they did all say they came to an agreement on who they think is the most likely suspect. But that name has been protected out of respect for still-living relatives. So whoever, or whatever, killed the Grubers that night remains one of the most chilling and wild mysteries in the history of true crime. The Grubers' family legacy lives on today in the many articles and movies made, as well as a shrine that has been set up to commemorate the victims near the property. Extremely interesting that the... In 2007, they reopened the case using new technology. Yeah. I that's wonder where how they did it without the heads. That's where it's <laughs> frustrating, because it's like you could have had so much more evidence to use for this modern investigation, and you don't have any of like the fingerprint samples. You don't have the murder weapon, probably, mm-hmm. unless they did keep it. I don't know. It didn't really say in any of the articles if they did or not, but you, you don't have the heads. Yeah. And the farm's demolished, so it's not like you can, like, go back and see the property, even if it would have been different, like, for yourself, so. I don't even think they have pictures of the heads. No. Would I they? I mean. Not really, no. There's pictures of the bodies in the farm, um, oh, like, in the barn. Right. But they're all in the hay, and, fa- like, you can see the feet in the picture, but the heads are all on the other side, so mm-hmm. you can't really tell. So it's, yeah, there's really nothing much for them to go off of but the fact that they all reached the conclusion on who they think the most likely suspect is is interesting and i wonder who that would be but it's probably very smart that they didn't say just because they said most likely suspect and right it would just turn into it was that person and could potentially ruin you know someone's life or a family's history yeah exactly uh so credit it's just frustrating for us so frustrating yeah (laughs) tell us who it was right you just want to like shake the table right now yeah like give us some leads but yeah that is the uh the story of the hinter kaifek family murder again one of the most gruesome that we've covered it's, thus far and yeah it's it's one of those things like one of our old episodes where there's just not a resolution to it <laughs> yeah and I, we haven't done a lot of these and i try and stay away from the unsolved ones more recently just because it's a lot better to just have a story with an answer right and this is the conclusion kids yeah <laughs> but i wanted to throw this one in there because i know it is like a popular subject and i wanted to kind of get our takes on it and see what we we came up with for it and it's always interesting to like put your detective hats on every once in a while so 
bring out my little flashlight and <laughs> wee, wee, wee. <laughs> I'll figure it out. Yeah, very interesting. Love the story. Hate the story. Yeah, same. Mm-hmm. Hate the resolution. <laughs> Hate the resolution. <laughs> or lack thereof. Right. But Evan, where can they find some chilling photos of this investigation? You can f- Do you say investigation? <laughs> now I did. Now we did, yeah. <laughs> But uh, you can find us on Twitter at gems underscore history. You can find Jacob at Jacob from Wisco. Then myself at Whatevskis. And on Twitter, as well as our Instagram at gems underscore of underscore history underscore podcast. You will find some polls. Polls of who you think the murderers were. So you can vote on and tell us who you think they were. The choices will be. Lorenz, Mr. Creepy Eyes, Carl Great Gabriel, our angel of death. Yeah. The Bickler brothers or the Thaler brothers. And if there's a way to do a fifth option, you can write one in. Ooh. But be on the lookout for that. Uh, should be some interesting content there. Um, oh, and finally, you can find us on TikTok at Gems of History Pod. Yeah, look there. We'll reenact the entire <laughs> the entire story. <laughs> yeah, including the murders. <laughs> yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It was a a little more brutal than our last two, which were yeah. relatively <laughs> lighthearted. So, yeah, we'll be back next week. We'll have maybe some more goofy stuff coming at you. But yeah, let us know if you guys like this style episode the more like deep dive stuff or if you like the episode last week where we did some more like mini stories and stuff and Mm -hmm. we'll we'll sprinkle in more of what you guys prefer and go from there because we want to give you guys what you want we're a podcast that listens listens and appreciates podcast for the people (laughs) yes (laughs) exactly all right guys everyone have a great week we'll talk to you later